We live in sobering and solemn times. And you go, wait a minute, Jim, hadn't you seen outside? Yes, I have. This is why I think it's so sobering and solemn. In our country, where the Lord has blessed us so much, it's like there's nothing bad. Every day, people are getting up and going to work or going shopping or getting married, looking for jobs, leaving one job, going to another job, retiring, having kids. Everything is going good. We don't go outside and having war going out in our streets. We're not being threatened. Someone are trying to attack us. And everything's going so good. We have so many churches across this country, just in this county alone. I don't know the numbers. What is it, 250-something? That's just Baptist churches, let alone all these other things that claim to be churches. And don't get me wrong, I believe they're children of God in some of these places, but I don't recognize them as churches. It's not according to this word. But all over the place, you would think we would be the most holy county, the most holy town, the most holy nation in the world. But look around, brethren. Even among professing Christianity, I've tried to get across this to my family. We live in the darkness. I call it like the Egyptian darkness. It's so dark you can feel it. Right. People run around and act like all these revivals going on, but you start talking to them and admit they don't know this word. Right. And you do good to find most people that know this King James Bible is the word of God. I know it has to be God protect us and protecting His Word because you don't see the King James Bible having to do start big campaigns about people getting about, but boy, they do the campaigns with these other things. But we live in bad times. Everybody comes up with their own bright idea how to make churches grow, how to get people converted. Everything except what God says. Right. And everybody comes up with their own bright idea what they should do. I read in my Bible that I'm supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amen. Not fight against the government, not fight against the IRS, not fight against witches and everything else, whatever you can come up with. My top priority is to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. But guess what? You have a problem with that because there's a lot of people don't even think the kingdom's here. They're still waiting on it to come. I got news for you. The kingdom of God is here now. Amen. And I keep praying for more of it to come. I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. But guess what? I'm not waiting for him to be the king. He's the king right now. And the only reason why our nation has what prosperity it has is because of him. In a heartbeat, he can make us like Russia or anywhere else. Just in one night. Just in one night. But you know what? Every year... Every month, every week, every day, every hour, every minute shortens the distance between you and death. You realize that? You're that much closer to dying. And what aggravates it so, the exact moment is hidden from you. Who in here knows when they're going to die? Does most people in here believe that you are going to die? Amen. That's only three or four people. What about the rest of you? Do you believe you're going to die? I know what it's like, young people. When I was younger, going to live forever. Live forever. But you know what? Death often comes when it's least expected. I had a friend, 18 years old, working at Poinsett Highway, parked cars, jumped on his Honda Dream. Friday night, starts coming down the road. They call it the West End now. It was just downtown back then. Coming down to Main Street, and comes around this curve, and someone read a red light, hits him, cuts his jugular vein. When the police came up, there was so much blood out there, they thought it was oil from the motorcycle. He died instantly. I had just been talking to him two or three days before. He was only 18 years old. Do you think he thought he would die that night? Nope. Not at all. It's real. I can remember looking down at that body. It's unbelievable. And you know what else happened? His grandmother found out about it, and she had a heart attack and died, and they buried her the same day he did. It often comes when least expected, but everybody thinks it's way out yonder. Many, while they know that they'll die at some time, they never give it a serious thought at all. And I'll tell you how bad it is. The way the Lord has made me and my personality, I pretty much can go up to almost anybody and get a conversation going with them. 
Even people that's hard to talk with, I can usually talk about the weather with them. I can get them to start complaining about their job or tell me about their aches and their pains, but I can get them to say something. There's some button there that will hit their interest and they'll get to talking. Or if nothing else, they'll just tell me to shut up and go on. But you can do something, you can get them to talking. But I'll try this little trick. Go try to get people to talk about death. Tell me something. What do you think about death? And see what kind of response you're going to get. And it's getting worse. Someone dies now. People love this new little thing they have called visitation. You know, you can just slip in and slip out. You can come by, shake the hand, sign your little name, and get right back out. Go to the funeral. Everybody tries to get out of it. No one wants to do it anymore at all, at all. And it's getting to the point where more and more, and I can understand it with certain people that die, they don't even want to open the casket anymore. They don't want you to see that dead body there. I'll tell you how bad it is. I remember a few years back there was this Corvette Stingray that was for sale, and it was a classic one, and it was a good price on it, but the man couldn't sell it. You know why? A man had been killed in this Corvette. But the man, other man spent the money to clean it up. It was just back like original again. But every time someone was interested in buying this Corvette, they found out that a man had been killed in that car. They didn't want to buy it. That's the fear people have of death. You don't believe it. You just go talk and ask. Just see how much they'll talk about death. And the things that people come up with. A lot of people, it just shocks me, is that they think when you die, that's it. That's it. You're just six feet under. I don't see why they live like they live. I'm glad they do. Calm down. But you know what the question is to me and you this day? What do you think about death and are you prepared for it? Right. Because it's going to happen. And you don't know when or where or how. You know, a lot of us think, I think probably a lot of people would be like me. You would like to think that maybe you could die in your sleep. You know, you just close your eyes and go to sleep, and when you open your eyes, you was in heaven. But the Lord doesn't always do it that way. Right. Look at the kind of death he died, and it wasn't quick. You know, according to tradition, at least the apostle Paul had his head cut off. That's pretty quick. I know it sounds drastic to us, but at least it's still quick. But the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on the cross, they did it that way on purpose. It was a slow, agonizing death. Right. And according to tradition, Peter died the same way, except hung upside down. We don't know how we're going to die at all. The other day down in Pickens County, there was a father and his son riding down the road. And some drunk from Clemson University come flying around the curve and flying down the road and hit him head on and killed the father. And the son is in the hospital in bad shape. Do you think that they was thinking as they went down the road, well, we're going to die today? It happens all the time. All the time. But the question is, are you prepared for death? Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 32. I was telling a brother I just knew that this was probably going to be one of my sermons that I, I just say this ironically that everybody's going to remember. But I'll just hide behind the Lord. This is not what I would have picked, but the Lord picked this sermon. I tried to find something else, and he wouldn't let me go to nothing else. Amen. What we're going to talk about today is the contemplation of death and the wisdom there is in it. Right. The wisdom there is in it. Remember how the children of Israel is? Well, here we are in Deuteronomy 32. Why don't you look at verse 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider they're latter in. Amen. Do you hear what God is saying there? That they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter in. Right. My purpose in preaching on this verse today is to teach you all the wisdom of contemplating your death. To think about your death. To think about your latter in. You go, Jim, how morbid can you be? Well, that's what God said right here. Amen. That's what God said. Turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's right after Proverbs. And it's okay to holler out amen if you want to. I'd like to know, are you awake? 
Do you agree? Maybe I'll do like uh, Mr. E.V. Hill does and just keep walking around asking for a witness till I get it. It is part of the worship. Right. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and I like this book because it's such a sobering book. Amen. You know, the wise man is given more wisdom than anyone else. And so it's so good because he went and looked at life and tried all these things. But listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, starting with verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. But you know, we have it backwards. I never have heard of anybody having a death day. They always have a birthday. They get all excited about when somebody's born. But what about when someone dies? But according to this, the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. I didn't make that up. Don't think I'm crazy. It is better to go to the house of mourning... Then go to the house to feasting. That's when someone has died is what it's referring to. A house mourning is there's a dead body in there. And people mourning the loved one is dead. Right. He says it's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. Every one of you. Including me. That is the end of all men. And listen to what it says. And the living will lay it to his heart. Amen. It will lay it to his heart. When you can see that dead body and know, if not, it's not, they wouldn't let you do this, but if they would, you could go up and grab that body any kind of way you want, and it won't wake up because it's dead. And guess what will happen? They do all this embalming and everything and all, but when that body's in that casket and down there in the ground, the worms eat it all up, and it returns back to dirt and dust and crows. But you hear what he says? Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of birth. And I know the hard time I'm going to have today unless the Lord helps me. This is the complete opposite of what we're told all the time. Right. Everybody wants to go to the house of feasting. And everybody wants to remember their birth, but they don't want to talk about their death. They don't want to consider it. And sorrow is better than laughter. People want to be made to laugh, to forget about their problems. They don't want to lay it to heart. Now, their house is in a house of mirth. Just look at all the comedy clubs that we have just in this town. They don't want to think about death. Oh, they don't want to think about it. But what about you? Do you really believe it's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting? Amen. Right. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 19, just to confirm it more. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says, Hear counsel, and that's the counsel of the Lord, and receive instruction, that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. Wouldn't you want that? Amen. When it comes your latter end, that you'll be wise. Not foolish. What is death? I'm not going to do an exhaustive thing on death, but I want you to look at it from this perspective. Where did death come from? What do most people think? Well, I'll tell you one thing it's not. It's not natural. You realize that? Death is not natural. But you go, it's everywhere. That's right. It's the judgment of God against sin. That's why it came into being. It's the judgment of God against sin. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. In the beginning, there was paradise, the Garden of Eden. No sin. And I want you to think about this. If you read the whole chapter, you realize in that Garden of Eden, it says that God made every tree that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And also the tree of life was in that garden, as well as the tree of knowledge and evil. But the tree of life was there. And you know what God said to Adam? Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, that included that tree of life there. You realize that? He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Do you hear that? That's the only tree he didn't have to eat. But we know he ate of it, 
And you turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and look at verse 17. You know, the woman blames the devil. We'll start with Adam. He blames God and a woman. The woman blames the devil. The devil doesn't blame anybody. He was deliberately trying to get him to fall. But look at the judgment God put on Adam. And to Adam he said, verse 17, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return into the ground, for out of it was thou taken. For dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. It's a judgment from God about death. That thorns and thistles, I was telling Brother Charlie and somebody else when we was at Brother Michael's place, clearing it out, I said, you realize every time we look at those thorns and thistles all there, every one of them is a witness against us about sin. Right. Every time you see that weed, you plow and you're doing any kind of garden, those thistles and those weeds is a witness against, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Right. I'm here because of sin. I'm Amen. here because of sin. But what I want you to see is death came from God as a judgment against sin. Yep. Right. But what kind of death did he die? God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But if you look at Adam's age, he lived a long time, physically. Let me explain to you about death. There's some uh, phases of death. I'll tell you, he died instantly. The guilt, the shame, when he hid, and he was put out of the Garden of Eden, he died spiritually that day. You realize that? God talked to him for a little time, but you realize then he put him out of that garden where he could not come back in. And I'll point out something to you, brethren. When he died, since it was Adam, he represented every single person. We died spiritually right then. You was born spiritually dead. It's not no age of accountability. The accountability was in the time when Adam was in the garden. And he failed the test. One commandment. But when he fell, we fell in him. And I'm going to prove this. But I want you to realize, what kind of death did he die? He died spiritually. Later on, he died physically. And guess what? If his name is not written in the book of the Lamb's book of life, or your name written there, you'll die another death. We're going to look at it later. Called the second death, and it's eternal death. And it's just a dying for eternity. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, a lot of people like the, the aspect of Jesus Christ representing his people and dying for them, but they don't like it when you start telling them about Adam represented people. But what better representative could you have at the time? Adam was created a full-grown man, perfect, no sin, in the Garden of Eden, and only had one commandment. Don't eat of that tree. And Eve was the one that was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived at all. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, in this chapter when Paul's talking about the resurrection, he says this, For as in Adam all die. If you have any doubts about it, there's the verse. In Adam all die. But let me prove it more. Turn over to Romans chapter 5. Sin and death and condemnation came to all of us because of what Adam did. In Romans chapter 5, this is a Romans road a lot of people don't go down. But let me take you down the Romans road, the path that the Lord has taught me to walk on it. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We sinned in Adam, and then we're born, we're born dead spiritually, and then we do our own sins. But you know why we sin? Because we're sinners. You didn't choose to be a sinner, you already was one. Right. Verse 18, therefore it's by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Amen. But you see what I'm, my point I'm making here? 
Therefore, it's by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Death is not a natural thing. That's why the new heavens and the new earth will be here. We'll never see death again. It's a judgment of God against sin. Turn over to John chapter 3. Let me prove this point about men being spiritually dead because this is the truth. You might not think so, but it's most of the time I would say most churches in this town, I'll just say in this town for what I know of, deny this. They do not believe that men are spiritually dead, that you need to be born again. They believe if we could just love them enough, if I could just show them this verse, I could show them how this verse fits with this verse, surely they'll see it and they'll want to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Oh, no. Oh, no. Here in John chapter 3, I'll start with verse 3. And this was Nicodemus, a Pharisee. And he came at night, slipping her, and he admits to Jesus that he knows he has to be a teacher from God because all the miracles he does. And Jesus just hits him just flat out. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how in the world is he going to see these verses and understand them if he's not born again? Right. People say, well, you've got to believe to get born again. No, you can't believe till you are born again. Amen. Faith is a gift from God. Right. Amen. But you can't, except a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. And what did Nicodemus do? Like a lot of people, he said, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time his mother's womb would be born? Just took Jesus literally. Jesus said, you had to be born again. He goes, well, how can a man be born again? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And that's why, brethren, when we fell in Adam, every one of us was born dead spiritually. And that's why you've got to be born again. You're dead spiritually. You're alive physically, but guess what? Even physically you're dying. But people just assume because you're alive physically, you're alive spiritually. Not according to the word of God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You know what the trouble is when you start trying to share the Bible with somebody, trying to teach them something? If God hasn't made them been born again, quicken them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. He's spiritually dead. He's alive physically there, but he's spiritually dead. It's not only foolishness to him when you start sharing some scripture with him, what it means, but he can't even understand it. He doesn't have eyes to see. And that's why you knock your head against the wall to the Lord teaches you this. You go, what's wrong with these people? I want them to get saved. Why won't they listen? Because they don't have eyes to see. They're spiritually dead. It's like I was saying earlier. You go to that body sitting there in that casket, try to feed it. Try to give it something to drink. Set it there before it and say, look, here's some food and some drink. Drink it. It'll just sit there. Right. A dead man can't do nothing. But let me prove it even a little more further. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and just verse 1. To prove this thing about spiritual death. And you have he quickened, that's God, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were alive physically, but guess what? You were dead spiritually. And he quickened you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right. That's simple. God has to give spiritual life or you won't have it at all. But turn over to Revelation chapter 2. Now I know people don't like to hear about this. But in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus brings in this new thing. But it's really not new. In Revelation chapter 2, Verse 11, here's a promise he has. He that have an ear, let him hear with the Spirit safe unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. What is that second death? Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. 
Revelation chapter 20 and look at verse 12. This is the great white throne and Jesus sitting on it. This is judgment day. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That second death is eternal damnation. Dying forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And don't get no bright ideas. God will never have any mercy on the wicked. That's right. Never. They will never, never come back. There is no escape. Right. You see why, brethren, I know. What a subject. But this is God's word. Amen. But you know, if people are wise, they want to hear about this. That's right. Not run from it. That's right. Let's consider some other aspects about death. First one is, death separates the soul from the body. Turn over the book of Job. I just wonder if a month from now I say, well, do you remember what I preached on this morning? I wonder how many people say, yeah, we remember. But brethren, God says, this is wisdom. Wisdom. The day of your death is better than your day of birth. And I believe it. You know why? When I was born, I was born spiritually dead. But now that I've been saved by God, when I die, it's going to be a great day. Right. Call me a fool if you want. I don't care. Find out I'm getting more honorary and more and more in my older age, and I don't care. I love God's word, and I love what he says, what a real life is, and what the truth is. Right. And real clear thinking that's right. that's right. Job chapter 14, verse 10. Why do I have to say this? Because we live in a day and time now where people don't even think there's a heaven or a hell. I guess they think that it's nice. Why that song by John Lennon is so popular, imagine if you will. Well, you can imagine all you want. John Lennon is in hell right now as far as I know, right. and he doesn't imagine anymore. Right. John chapter 14, verse 10, But a man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? You realize Jehovah's Witnesses and others deny this, but there it is in the Word of God. It says the man giveth up the ghost. What is that? That's your spirit and your soul. That's what happens when you die physically. Turn over to the good old book of Ecclesiastes again. Amen. Now, I was in a Christian bookstore the other day, and I didn't see too many books on the bestseller thing they had there on about the book of Ecclesiastes. I wonder why. There was no commentaries or nothing hardly there on it. I wonder why. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and verse 8. There is no man that have power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither have he power in the day of death. There's nothing that anybody can do when death comes. You don't have the power to stop yourself from dying. You realize that? And you don't have no power to stop death from coming. None at all. And there is no discharge in that war. Amen. None. Neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. Make a pact with the devil and hell all you want. It will not stop you from dying. Not at all. But you notice what it says here? You don't have power of the spirit. When it comes your day to die, it comes your minute. You can't stop that spirit from leaving. You realize that? As much as you want, you cannot stop. In the same book, turn over to chapter 3. Verse 20. All go into one place, all are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? All go into one place, and that is dying. You're going to turn to dust again. Turn over to chapter 12. 
reason why I'm just showing you these verses, we live in a day and time you might not be aware of it, but there's a lot of people denying this, denying it altogether. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. When it's talking about the latter days, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. It's talking about mine and your dust. And the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. He gave it and he takes it back. Right. But I want you to turn over to the book of Job now. There's a particular name that's given to death. I like it. Our pastor has even referred to it a few times. I'll show you where he got it from. Job chapter 18. Here in the context, it's talking about the wicked and death. Job chapter 18, verse 14. Yep. His confidence shall be rooted out of his tabernacle. This tabernacle, brethren, of clay. And it shall bring him to the king of terrors. Amen. You know who that king of terrors is? It's death. It's death. It is the king of terrors. Let me show how great a terror it is. It dissolves all earthly relationships, whether you like it or not. Even your dearest ones. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. What about your wife or your husband? Does death have mercy? It's called the king of terrors. No. Romans chapter 7, verse 2, look what even Paul says. For the woman which have a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. You get the point? That's it. He's no longer her husband. She can remarry. Death dissolves. It's not just that. But death doesn't care if it's your son or your daughter or if you're only child. It doesn't care. It breaks up all earthly relationships. That is it. Think about this, fathers. You can't teach your children the fear of the Lord anymore. Or what the Lord has done for you. It's the end. It's ended. You can't talk with your wife anymore, your husband, whoever it is. You can't share with them anymore. That's it. Now think about that in the light is you don't know when you're going to die. Right. Maybe that will help push you a little bit to get to doing what you're supposed to be doing. Amen. Right. Because you don't have a promise if you're going to be live tomorrow. Right. You might leave from this service today and go out here and some drunk hit you and kill you. Right. <coughs> Turn over to Psalm 49. God covers everything. Maybe you have a relative that has a lot of money. And you know, in this world, money talks. Most people that have money, they can do whatever they want. But listen to this in Psalm 49. Start with verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, listen to what God says. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceases forever. Death comes for a loved one, you can't stop it. You can't even buy it off. Money means nothing to the king of terrors. Right. Nothing. But all those earthly relationships, if you don't have a good relationship for your husband or wife, what are you waiting for? You don't know when you're going to die. You've been teaching your children to fear the Lord. What are you waiting on? You don't know when you're going to die. But I'll tell you what the truth is. We don't think we're going to die. We think one day, maybe when I'm about 120 years old, I'll die in my sleep peacefully on my pillow. Be honest. We don't say it, but that's what we think. And we don't know how we're going to die. Death has passed by me several times. The Lord has been merciful to me. And I remember when it's come by so close to me, I just, one time in Hendersonville, there's snow up there, and I was just shaking. I had to just sit there. I had to go to Hendersonville back way because of a guy that jackknife. And the way I went, I came very close to death. Very close. And then one time back in my wild days, it was only 10 feet away from me. But the barrel was pointed down, not at me. 
We don't know when you're going to die. I can remember one time, I don't usually do this much in illustration, I liked it, there was this old series about the West, and it started from the beginning of the country, and I liked this one part, and it was an old mountain man, and I liked the mountain man, and he found out that someone had messed with his niece. They didn't rape her or nothing, but caused her to fall in this mud and everything. So what did he do? Well, he was a real man. He went to the town, and he walks up to this saloon or whatever these guys are, and they all come out, and they got him outnumbered about ten to one, you know. And he wants to know who messed with his niece. And, you know, one guy looked at him and says, you know, there's ten of us and there's only one of you. And he just looked at the man and said, you can't live forever. Right away, every man moved away except for the ones that messed with the girls. And he knew who it was. I mean, they, just, they knew here was a man that wasn't scared to die. Breaks up all earthly plans. Do you have a problem with a loved one? Say an uncle or an aunt, a grandfather, a father, you better get it straightened out. Because guess what? One day if they're dead, then you'll regret it and you'll think about all the things you wish you said and you wish that you'd done, and it'll be too late. Right. What are you waiting for? Do you see the wisdom and considering your latter end? What are you waiting for? Why do you assume that you're going to get to live so long? It's a general rule about being 70 or 80. That Mrs. Normel that we know about, that my sister-in-law was taking care of, she lived to be 99 years old. Not a single relative at all. None. So what that she got to live that long? Not a single relative. None. No children, no nothing. And guess what else death does? It seals up our account for the judgment. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27. As it is appointing to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. That's it. Sealed up. Everything you've done in this life, next time it'll be opened up is at Judgment Day. Right. And don't think because you're a child of God, you won't appear before the judgment seat. Don't think that at all. Turn over to Romans chapter 14. This is in the context of Paul talking about Christian liberty, about how you deal with one another. And he brings this in. And he's talking to believers. In Romans chapter 14... Start in verse 10. He says, But why doest thou judge thy brother? Why doest thou set it not thy brother? For, and listen to how he says it. For we all shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Amen. Every idle word that you say, everything that you did. And remember, every secret God knows. He knows your motive, your desires, your thoughts, everything. And you're going to have to give an account for it. Everything. Do you want him to be able to look at you and say, Well done, faithful servant. What are you doing? Turn over to Luke chapter 12. I almost forgot, and I have to remind you of this. Something else death does. And you know what that is? It separates you from all your possessions here on this earth. Amen. You can't take it with you. In Luke chapter 12, start with verse 15. And this is Jesus talking. He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. You think we have that problem in America? Amen. You think we might have that problem? Amen. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the thing which he possesseth. Now don't get me wrong. Go talk to a banker tomorrow. And talk about getting a loan. And you know what he's going to talk to you about? What kind of possessions do you have? That's how he's going to judge you. And guess what? That's how our world does. If you don't have no money, 
you better be very good looking. And if you're not very good looking, don't have no money, you better be very strong, athletic, something. But Jesus says, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consists of not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. We don't have much stuff, though. We start complaining and saying we don't have anything. Why does God treat me like this? That's not your life. We're supposed to be pilgrims and strangers in this world. And he spake a parable to them saying, oh, I love this parable. And this is illustrate the point he just said. And we've gone over this before, but we need to look at it again. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Wasn't that the American way? He worked hard. He worked smart. He has all this abundance. He goes past what he probably projected he would do. And so he has to build more barns. This sounds like the American dream to me. Everybody would say, I wish I could do that. That sounds successful. And he could finally just sit back and retire and enjoy it all. Right? This verse always just scares me to death. Because I have a tendency to think that way. It would be great to be able to retire early. Retire right now. But what does God say? The next verse. But God said unto him, Thou fool. Thou fool. So what do you think God thinks about the American way? What does he think you think? Because you got so much abundance? I don't care if you did it honestly and everything. That's not your life. Right. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. And listen to the wisdom God puts in here. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Because guess what? When you die, you can't take it with you. And so while you're dying, all your relatives are squabbling and whatnot, having who's going to get what. And you don't even know if they're going to be wise or foolish or what. They might have it spent in one week. And it's just forgotten. And the fights and the hate that will come up between one another trying to grab the stuff. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Well, how do you be rich toward God? You know what? There's something that you can have in this life and you can take it with you. Did you know that? I love this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul's talking to Timothy and he says, and I don't do this on purpose. This is God's word. For body exercise has profited little. It profits a little, Right? I can remember, I was thinking the other day, I can remember when the first help spa came to Greenville out there on 291, and that was the only thing there. And we always wondered, what in the world is that? And now they're all over the place. Gyms are everywhere. Well, Paul admits, body exercise is profit a little, but listen to what he says. But godliness, godliness is profitable unto all things. Amen. Having promise of the life that now is in this world, and of that which is to come. Right. How about that, brother? You can have godliness in this life, and you can take it with you. Right. Because that is true treasure. Amen. That's being rich toward God by being like Him. Right. Do you think He's pleased with that? Amen. But we don't believe it. If we don't have the new car, whatever the other next thing is. I was reading the other day, now they're going to do digital radio where it'll just come to your car. You hear whatever channel you want. You don't like to do with the TVs. What's next? But everybody's just a rat race. You got to have it. You got to have it. Well, I'll tell you something. You think I'm crazy, but my 79 Chevrolet, I go out there and I turn the key, and that old car takes me to work and takes me back. Right. And I've gone hunting in it every time you can ask anybody that goes with me, and it takes them down there and it takes them back. And I've gone fishing in it, and it takes me there and takes it back. And I've even gone to Atlanta in it, and it takes me there and takes me back. And the car has even been to Florida, taking my whole family down there, and it takes me down there and takes me back. But you know what? It's got a dent on the side. It's kind of looks like a little bit of rust on it there. It's not got no. It's got a radio in AM, but it don't even work. But you know what? I love that car. I get in and I just turn the key. 
If something does come up, it is just as easy as pie. Easiest pie for me to get a part for to fix it. You know what? But you know what? Most people think I'm crazy. Do you know why in the world do you drive around in a car like that? Well, that's what the Lord's provided for me. Right. Why do I need something else? If you got Jesus, what else do you need? Right. He's provided me a way to get to work. When He first came into my life, I didn't even have a car. I'd go out hitchhiking and he'd give me a ride to work. Don't tell me you can't do stuff and the Lord's on your side. Right. And every day he'd give me a ride. And then I would just blow my mind who would pick me up. This car full of old couples come down there and just pick me up. And I thought, here I am, a perfect strange on the road. Well, you look like a pretty clean-cut fella. I'm going, what? <laughs> but they would pick me up and I knew who was behind it was the Lord. Amen. I read in his word that I should be working. I didn't have a car, so there's only one way to walk to work or try to get a ride. And he'd give me a ride every time. But how about that, brethren? You can take godliness with you. You can take it with you. Remember what Job said? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked the Lord gave, and the Lord take away. Blessed be his name, because he knew. Naked going back. And Paul says the same thing even in the same book in Timothy. He says... Where is it at here? For we brought nothing to this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Right. How about that, brethren? All that sweat, all that time, all that planning, for all those material things, and when death comes, the king of terrors, you can't take it back. You can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Then you to answer this question for me. If you believe this, do you believe it? Amen. Then why do we give so much time and attention to it? And we give God what's left over. We give God what's left over. But we give our best time and our best attention to going after those things. And I don't know, maybe it's like me or the Lord's doing something in my life, but I just know this. There's things I want and then I get them. And I go, is that it? Right. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy doing certain things, but then I just had this thing in my mind, if I could just get that, and I get the thing and it's like, I thought there'd be more. There's not more. It's vanity. It's vanity of vanities. Amen. What is real, brethren, is the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him and having a fellowship for him. You know those verses Jonathan told us to look at? You hear those words? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know that power, brethren, besides just knowing him. That power of resurrection is living a holy and righteous life. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Right. But guess what? Death has no sting. Amen. When you're in Christ Jesus living for him. There is no guilt. What are you waiting for? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me show you one of the things that moved Paul. Paul knew about that judgment seat. Even though he was the apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the context here, he's talking about what will happen. That He knew that if he was to die, he would leave and go to be in heaven, and he would rather do that. And you come down to verse 9, we'll go up to verse 8, and he says this. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's his true desire, and I hope that's yours. But listen to what he says. In light of that, if you really love the Lord. Right. Wherefore, this in light of what he said, that when you die, if you're a child of God, you'll go to be of the Lord. He says this, wherefore, we labor, we work, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. He wanted his Lord to be, to be not working for salvation, but to be pleased with him. Right. Whether he was there in his presence or not. And look what he adds on to it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he have done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. That's one of the things that moved Paul. And it will help move you. 
You know, if you're going to have to give account, you don't know when you're going to die. You know, people talk about discrimination day. You know, death, the king of terrorists, doesn't discriminate. Right. Does it matter if you're black or white or red or yellow, old or young, tall or short, fat or skinny? One of the things I get tickled at is, and don't get me wrong, I'm not against them so, but you can take all the vitamins you want. You can avoid every preservative you want. You can go to somewhere where the air is just perfect. You can get one of those machines that's supposed to ionize or whatever takes everything out of the air. You can do all that stuff, but when the king of terrors comes knocking at your door, he doesn't wait for you to open it up. He just walks right in and takes you. Right. Amen. Somebody can be sick and live to be 100 years old, but it's till it's their time to die, they won't die. I'll remind you all of something. I buried all my grandparents except for one, and she was already dead before I was born. Death is real. Right. Death is real. I regret that I didn't get to talk with my grandparents about what the Lord has did for my life and get them to see my wife and my children. But you know what the Lord did for me? My father's still alive. Amen. And I wasn't weary and well-doing, and it was hard. But I got to working on the relationship between me and him. And you know what I can say now before y'all? It is good. It is good. Amen. And if my father was to die tomorrow, I don't have no regrets. It's, well, the one regret I have is I wish he was a member of this church right here. But he is going to another Baptist church and claiming to be a Christian. And when we get together, we have a good time. I tell him I love him, and he tells me he loves me, and we hug each other. And let me tell you something. You don't know my father. This is, this is a new thing in my life. <sighs> my father was the type, though, type that you didn't show emotions. You didn't do things like that. For some reason, they thought men just didn't do things like that. But now he does. I love it. And I don't have to regret it. I've got that cleared up. Right. Cleared up. What are you going to do? Death is coming. You don't know what time. You don't know when. Do you believe that? Amen. And when it happens, that's it. Right. That's it. Whoever dreams that some drunk is going to run a red light and kill you? A lady the other day on the job. Debbie's not here, but she would know. Because I knew Lynn. This lady was telling me I thought she was sick, and I asked her about it, and she said, no, she wasn't sick. She had a stepdaughter. She had an amorism. Busted. She just died instantly, just like Debbie's mother. Right. I knew Lynn. Brother Newell knew her. She was here at the beginning when we started the Greenville Church in good health, good shape. And then one day, she had amorism, and she's dead the next day. And the king of terrors didn't care that the children were still just children right. at all. What are you going to do? Well, let me tell you something, brother. Maybe you're wondering the same. You know, Jim, isn't there anything good to say about death? Isn't there anything good from this? Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. I hear a voice in the book of Revelation. It's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he says? It's starting in verse 17. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Amen. And listen to what he says. And I have the keys of hell and death. Amen. Yes, he died. He knows what death is like, but he conquered it. Right. I don't know if anybody else has did that to you. And he has the keys to it. He has the keys to it. And I love how he starts it off. He says, fear not. Fear not. Isn't that great? Amen. Isn't that good? Right. I think it is. I don't know about you, but when I considered this and pondered on this, I thought, oh. And it was so sober and so solemn. And I thought about all these people that I buried. Not all my grandparents and my mother. And friends I had. There's that one guy, 18 years old, on a motorcycle. Another one, 16 years old, behind McAllister Square, just killed. Another friend of mine professed to be a Christian but took a gun and blew his brains out. He's only about 21 years old. I've been seeing death over and over and over. thought, isn't there anything good? Some kind of ray of light. And then I hear the Lord Jesus Christ saying this, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And I've overcome death. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. But I hear him talking again over in John. In John chapter 11. And oh, I love this. In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. And Jesus says, 
I am the resurrection. Do you hear that? And the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Is that good? Let me add on what else Jesus said. Believest thou this? Isn't that good? Do you believe that? That is our hope, brethren. We don't know when we're going to die, how it's going to happen. All you can do is be ready. But death has no more sting to us. You know what death is? It's just the passageway for us to leave this tabernacle and go and be with Jesus. Go and be with Jesus. Guess what else? Revelation, that book again. I'm going to have to do a commentary on this book one of these times. Revelation, I love it so much. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. Listen to this voice from heaven. And I heard the voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Notice it's the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. That's right. They have nothing to be ashamed of. They know their time is short. They do what they're supposed to do for the Lord. They don't assume one day at a time, and then they die, and they're blessed. They rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So you can take godliness with you. You can take that holy living with you. That fruit of the Spirit goes with you, those works that you have done. The Lord doesn't forget them. How do I conclude this whole thing? The book of Ecclesiastes. thought I could do it no better. I'm not that smart. And light, death, being so certain, called the king of terrors, and knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ has delivered us from it, what should we do? The last two verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you see why all these other things are so vain? And then that next verse, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's right. right. And let me say something to people here who don't profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How foolish can you be? You're going to die whether you believe it or not. Only in Christ Jesus, only the people that die in him rest from their labor. If you're wise, you'll do what the word of God says, and it gives this commandment. He commands all men everywhere to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you heard what Jesus said about those who believe in him. They shall never die. You know what that means? Oh, we'll have a physical death. But we have spiritual life and we'll have eternal life. And the second death won't affect us at all. And brethren, I don't know about you, but when those books are open, I'll be thankful if my name is written in the book of life. But when that other book is open, when it's talking about my deeds... I want it to be things that please the Lord to show him how much I love him. Do you? Then what are we waiting for? All we have right now is this day. This day. We don't know if we'll live tomorrow. Make sure this day, if you fear God, that you'll keep his commandments this day and live this day holy for him. You know what I thought the other day? There used to be some movies a long time ago where a millionaire would find out that he was going to die, and he knew when he was going to die, so he went and gave his money out and showed how, what he would do, or other people, when they knew they was going to die a certain day. And it's amazing what people will do when they know they're going to die. Well, we know we're going to die. Right. So what are we waiting on? Amen. We presume. It's sinful. We should be like Paul. That's why the grace of God worked in Paul so much. The Spirit told him constantly everywhere where you went. He didn't know if he, this next town he'd go into if he'd get stoned to death. He didn't care. He wanted to please his Lord. He wanted to please his Lord. So if that was the last day, like what he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. I told that to a friend of mine once that took psychology and was going to try to be a counselor, and he thought I was mentally ill. He was warning me about going to some place where I was, this was back in my Armenian days, trying to witness some people there. In my foolishness, didn't know better. I was trying to go straight to this club, and if I had to, I'd pay the money to go straight in there buttonholing people because I used to hang out there myself. And he said, don't you know you could have got killed? I said, they would have done me a favor. He thought I was crazy. 
Because I remember thinking, well, if they kill me, I'd go to be with Jesus. Right. What could be better? What could be better? How we put this into practice, brother? Do you see the wisdom to sit down and think? You know, our pastors already brought to us how short life is. But God says even the wisdom of contemplating your latter end. Right. Will you be wise in it? Could you look back and say, I've done what I could have done for the Lord? What have you done even this day? What have you done this past week? What have you done? Don't we owe him at all? I agree with the Apostle Paul. I think it's our reasonable service to offer our bodies up to him, a living sacrifice. It's reasonable when you think about what all he did and the death that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us. We'll never have to die that death. We'll never know what it's like. In other places, I love how the Bible puts it. It calls it a sleep. It's like going to sleep. Oh, and the glorious thing about opening your eyes. And there you are. There you are in heaven. Right. With the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless us if we put this into practice. To contemplate the day of our death, not the day of our birth. Right. And to live in the light of that, knowing how certain it is. You know, the Lord had mercy on Moses. He doesn't do it to us. But when I was reading there, trying to read the whole context, he told Moses, to get up on the mountain. He says, you're going to die just like your brother did. But he says, I'm going to let you see the land where the children of Israel are going to go in. But he knew when he went up there, he'd get to see the land, and then he was going to die. Right. Well, brethren, we've been warned. Amen. We've been warned. Amen. Let's stand now and be dismissive for the prayer.